The Athletic. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. My name's Sammy James. Welcome to the show, brought to you by The Athletic UK. And that nail is well and truly in the coffin. Third time's a charmer for Fulham. Three relegations under the Cairns. And it was confirmed in a horrible, heartbreaking way. A 2-0 defeat to Burnley on Monday night meant that Fulham's stint back in the Premier League once again only lasts a single season. The fallout begins here. The inquest is already well underway. What will Fulham do next season as we prepare for another season of Skybet's Championship? Maybe you love to see it or maybe you're thoroughly miserable about the whole thing. Well, we'll discuss everything and all the permutations over the next hour or so. And here to dissect all that fallout with me is Jack Collins. Hello, listeners. Ben Jarman. Hello, everyone. And Joe Sansom. Hey, guys. How are we all doing? Um, feeling pretty flat today. I don't know about you guys. Yeah, it's a strange one, isn't it? It's like you can see it coming for weeks. And on last week's pod, we talked about it and it felt felt like it was inevitable. But I don't know, for me, and a lot of people I'm sure disagree, and a lot of people have been on Twitter saying that it doesn't feel quite as as rough because we haven't been there, et cetera, et cetera. But I don't know, that last ember of hope being extinguished hurt all the same. Um, well, let's get into some three-word reviews. Maybe some gallows humour can be found in there. Um, Jack, it's been a while since you've been on secretarial duties. Um, it has indeed. Special times, call for special measures. So what came in? I liked Rob Zapalski's crash in Burnley. Uh, our very own Cam Ramsey with Claret's nail coffin. Uh, Stephen Sheldrake with Craven Cottage capitulation. Josh oh, Whitcomb, yes. I thought was very clever. Zero interest loans. Uh, Ryan Byrne, <laughs> rudderless relegation redux. Uh, Doug Bethune's 90-minute eulogy. And the one that got the most likes, Alex at Pure Power, yo-yo dreams achieved. Indeed. Well, let's get into the match then, Jarms. And there was a, a, a small out of hope going into last night's game against Burnley, especially as they were the side in 17th win and you're six points off. It's still looking incredibly difficult, even if we had have won. But to lose it like we did, two goals in the first half kind of killed the contest before half time. It was a pretty damning performance by Fulham in, in all aspects of it really and you you can say was it the recruitment that was at fault was it because of the pandemic that we're in this situation but last night when everything was on the line it was a pretty gutless performance from the players and the management. Yeah completely agree I, I think going back to the first part of your question when you said uh, there was an ounce of hope and, and I really liked your tweet the other day when you said that what is football without hope and that we always have to keep believing and I guess yesterday the belief went from the team pretty quickly I think in the opening half we were very clearly outplayed by a Burnley side that came there with one ambition in mind and that ambition was obviously to keep themselves safe for next year that will be their sixth in the Premier League under Sean Dyche now after again a a pretty horrendous start from Burnley, to be honest with you. But from a Fulham point of view, I think it sums up the the last seven games after we um, after we beat Liverpool. You know, one point from twenty one after that historic win at Anfield, and a team that simply just isn't good enough to stay in this division. I thought the first forty five minutes just lacked any sort of intensity, any sort of game plan, any attacking nous. Um, I thought the lineup on paper looked okay. Um, the return of Mitrovic was was quite nice, and I thought we'd be able to utilise him a little bit more than we did but it wasn't until we were 2-0 down that Fulham showed any sort of pace in the game uh, any sort of instinct to go forward and, and and really sort of like let the shackles loose the first half was just very timid um, no real pressing no real composure um, just a team that was scared to make a mistake and obviously they they, they made two um, although one was a very good strike from Chris Wood it was a very, very good strike, although I felt like the, the first goal was more of a catalogue of errors, Joe, for, from Fulham's point of view. But we've said it all season. Yes, sometimes this defence is a little bit vulnerable, but up front, it's so bad. 
It is so, so bad. You, you see that picture of when it's a, a beautiful horse and then it turns into a kid's drawing by the time it reaches the back <laughs> legs. It does feel like that. How it, that's how Fulham are as a team. Beautiful kind of through the thirds, from the defence to the midfield. Every time you think, right, here we go, lads. Someone's got a, like a four on three. And there's always a wrong pass, a wrong decision, a, a stupid mistake it's and that's almost what happened for the first goal as well Decadova Reed just has the most horrendous first touch it goes to I think Loughton and then he sends the ball for, for Vidra and then it ends up as a goal it, Parker has to take some responsibility because everyone's giving him plaudits and saying oh what a bright young manager he is you look at the tactics for last night's game and there's not a lot of defending you can do for it no, no, there's not. And Scott Parker hinted at it in his interview after the game. But if football was played just between the two boxes, we'd be laughing. But sadly, you know, what happens in either box is, you know, quite important. So um, we went out there last night and it was almost like we played long ball against Burnley for the first 10, 15 minutes. And then Burnley came back into the game. And that that's a tactical decision. You know, the players aren't just doing that off their own back. And that baffles me. Tarkovsky and me are just going to mop up those balls all day long. Second half, I mean, obviously all the pressure's on us to come out and get the goals. Burnley sitting back so comfortably and there was never any plan to break them down. I mean, Lamina ended up doing a job at centre-back. I actually thought he was probably our best centre-back on the night. We had um, Bobby Reid and Cavalero doing jobs at right-back. Loftus-Cheek coming on. We were playing two up front, six in midfield, you know, wingers all over the shop. And but there was never any plan. Um, and there hasn't been a plan all season. It's almost been, we're chasing the game, throw the attackers on and hope that someone can do something out of nothing. Pope was so comfortable in the goal other than um, Anguissa's shot that hit the bar. Um, and it was just very sad to see because as soon as the first goal went in, in the first half, I was so deflated and just thinking, I can't see us scoring to, to even equalise. And obviously a draw wouldn't have been enough. Um, so obviously the players have got to take some responsibility because... Um, once you get to that final third I mean it's up to them to create something but at the same time Parker this whole season there's never been a plan I mean you can see with Burnley there's always an out ball there's always bodies in the box and you can tell that they've been coached um, from set pieces to look dangerous from crosses to look dangerous and with us I just I never feel as nice as the players going forward that we're actually hurting the opposition even when we get into their box yeah, I, I fully agree with, with all of that, Joe. It, it, it's just so spineless and rudderless. And 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 Jack Sky loved to bring up that stat last night that Fulham have only managed to get two points coming from behind all season. You just have zero confidence in this side to, to score goals against any side, be that a top six side or a bottom six side. I think if we played Sheffield United or West Brom in, in current form, I don't know if we'd score. Yeah, it's it, it's worse than that, isn't it? It's one win from behind since the start of 2019. Um, yeah. Which is just incredibly bleak, frankly. Like, you, you know, and, and, and there are some mitigating circumstances for that. Tottenham didn't win from behind once under Jose Mourinho. So it's not like it's, you know, something that, that, that all clubs experience. But it is a bad record, isn't it? it it's an incredibly difficult thing to stomach. And, and I, I just... I have many questions and, and look, I, I, there, there's some things that you can't really avoid that the fact that Fulham decided to go wide sort of four, four, two against Burnley and start swinging in balls for Mitrovic on this, at this point of the season seems incredibly bizarre to me, right? It, it just doesn't really add up. You know, you look at Tarkovsky and me and you think this is the game we're going to go aerial. You know, <laughs> not for me, Clive. Um, but it, you know, but there is kind of an element of is Scott Parker damned if he does, damned if he doesn't in that regard. Because if he didn't play Mitrovic yesterday, everyone would have been up in arms because it was like we've been toothless all season. And and I think my my big gripe, and and I think this goes, you know, and and looking back at the season as a whole, and it's obviously easier to look at it in hindsight. But you look at, and I hate to mention that lot from up the road, but you look at Chelsea and you look at what. Tuchel's done since he's come in right and I know for a fact that Thomas Tuchel's preferred philosophy and his preferred vision right is a 4-3-3 it's what he did at Dortmund it's what he did at PSG he came into Chelsea and he's obviously gone right how do I impose my philosophy on this club he's looked at it and thought 
we don't have the players to play the 4-3-3 that I want to play. I don't have the defensive midfielder and therefore I can't do it. What I'm going to do is adapt myself to suit the system, to, to suit a system that therefore gets the best out of the players that I know are good. It, it accentuates my my strengths and it covers up my weaknesses. I know the centre-backs aren't very good, so I'm going to put three of them in and therefore I can and have a two in midfield without this defensive midfielder that I don't have and don't possess that allows me to then make this system work. Scott Parker this season has been limited, right, in terms of what he's been given in attacking options. And, and that is not his fault. That is not Scott Parker's fault. That is a failure of recruitment to bring in a number nine to, to one, challenge Alexander Mitrovic, and, and two, to have options up there up top. But instead of adapting his vision to suit what players Fulham have and the threat that Fulham have and the top scorer in the championship last season in Alexander Mitrovic, Parker decided not to use him and to basically play, you know, whether that was Cav up front or, or Lookman up front in order to try and play a high press. And I think my main gripe is that in a, in a size, in a side that, incredibly toothless and failed to score on numerous occasions and looked like they lacked any sort of cutting edge in the box. Parker hasn't tried to play to his strengths across the course of the season. Now, yesterday was not, as far as I'm concerned, the day to start swinging balls into the box. If we were going to play, try and play to Mitrovic's strengths, we should have started doing this a long, long time ago, right? We should have, we should have looked to, to bring him into games via that aerial threat. And, and if you're going to do that, you don't play Anthony Robinson, you, you play Joe Bryan, right? You, you, you look to maximize that velocity. And when all that said and done, it just seems that it's all been a bit scattergun in terms of approaches. And the, while we've praised Parker for learning for his mistakes, it all feels like it's been a little bit too little, too late. You know, those, those learnings and mistakes have taken four or five weeks to come. And in doing so, we've just continued to set ourselves back across the course of the season until it just we just ran out of time. Well, I guess, Ben, that harks back to the lack of long-term planning. And I think a lot of the fan base is waking up to this at the moment, that the reason that we failed this season was not necessarily the summer signings, was the lack of planning back in 2019 when we bought players like Anthony Knockhart, who cost us a fortune when we went up, that meant we didn't have enough money in 2020. And just signing players often based on reputation or what they've done in the past, irrelevant of whether they fit the identity or the style that Fulham want to play. <sighs> There is a drawing board at Fulham and it needs to be revisited big time this summer. Yeah, completely. I think that Fulham have lacked a long-term vision for the best part of five or six years. And I, I think that that is finally coming to catch up with us. I think, as you rightly point out, the the signings that we've made over the past couple of seasons in a desperate attempt to get back up into the Premier League haven't actually strengthened the squad whatsoever. And if anything, it's probably lumbered us with yet more expense that we probably couldn't justify. I think Knockart is absolutely the the exemplar the exemplifier of this. Um a guy that got two two goals to assist, I think, in the championship last season has gone on to do exactly the same in the championship this season, but has an outlay of ten million pounds against his name. Uh Cavaliero obviously the 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 figure bounded about is fifteen million. Um whether that's true or not isn't, you know, We'll, we'll never find out, I guess. But again, you would expect more output from that guy there. And I think, obviously, the failings over the summer, some of which came to the fore you know, a few few weeks ago, in that um, Tony Khan wanted to sign even Tony, but then wait, wanted to wait all the way to the end of October to do it. Uh, when Ivan Tony has now gone on to score 34 goals in the championship this season, and obviously has proven pedigree, you know, at that level, and uh, and could ease that could easily have translated to 10 or 12 goals at Premier League level, something that we dearly missed. And I think there have been so many failings at at, uh, at a level above Scott Parker's head over the past three or four years that it's very very difficult to look look past it. Um, and it's almost certainly coming to the fore on, on the pitch now. We've been lucky in that we've had. Ikanovic and Parker that have both achieved promotion um, and gone way above uh, the levels that I think most people expected of them in a pretty short time frame that has managed to paper up the cracks of a recruitment policy that is is absolutely shocking um, and with a guy that is clearly juggling more than he can take on. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Joe... 
there's a lot of talk now about Parker's future. And I think that's the first time that's actually happened all season where people have started to really question Parker. I would argue from my kind of objective look at the whole fan base that most people still back Parker. What is your view? Is he the man to lead us back in the championship next season? It looks like Fulham are hoping that he is. Um, I think I still back him, but I'm certainly a lot more undecided than I was a few months or even weeks ago. Purely because of what Jack was saying, really, about the too little, too late in terms of the attacking plan. We didn't have one last season. I don't think he's used the squad to the best of his ability in terms of the attack. I do in terms of the defence and he sorted us out well there. But my main gripe with him last season in the championship was that we were boring to watch. I didn't enjoy it. We seem to rely on moments of individual brilliance. That being said, I think that one thing that we could do with right now is stability because I think that's one thing we haven't had for a while at the club. And I think that it would help um, in terms of moving forward. He has taken us up before, even though it was through the playoffs. And I do have confidence that he could do it again. Um, we're in a stronger position this time round in terms of, I think we actually have a spine of a team in Tosin, in Reed, in, well, Mitrovic if he stays, but that's another question that I'm sure we'll move on to if Parker stays. But um, I, I feel that he's got the resources there um, next season. And I'm sure that we will invest as we always do. Um but, but my answer to your question really would be that I think we should stick with Parker purely for the fact that I think that he's I think that he's still learning. I think that he's done a good job in terms of our defence. But it's can, can he do it with the attack now? I, I feel that he's used up most of his, his nine lives with me in terms of I've lost a lot of patience. But um, next season in the Championship, I don't see who we could turn to now, who I would feel more... Um, who I'd have more confidence in to bring us back up. Jukanovic is unrealistic. Um, Wilder, I've seen shouts for him. I'm not sure. Um, Eddie Howe, I've seen mentioned, and that's one I'm certainly not sure on. Um, but it's just it's more of a question of who would we bring in instead. And I think that what we could do with is a bit of stability. Yeah, I mean, I, I suppose the wild card that I've been shouting for years is Vincenzo Montella who still has a deep, deep love of Fulham Football Club, is currently without a job. His stock has fallen a little bit in Italy. Um, he, he's someone that, that maybe could come in. The, the, the whispers I've heard um, this morning uh, from, from a couple of people are that Scott's team think that they've basically done as much as they can with the team this year to try and bring Fulham to the point of survival. The Fulham board and the higher-ups potentially think that the signings this season were good enough, potentially with the exception of Ruben Loftus-Cheek, um, and that Parker and his side could have done more. Um, so I would keep an eye on that for, for the near future. I mean, that doesn't mean that anyone's going to be sacked, um, but I do think they're coming to a bit of an impasse in that, Parker doesn't think that his squad was good enough and he's concerned, really concerned that they're going to be given and, uh, you know, basically the players back from last time out who they don't want to, to bring into a Premier League campaign um, and say, go and dominate the championship. And they don't think that that's the, the recruitment model is quite there. Whereas the higher ups within the club apparently believe that they don't think Parker and his team have done a good enough job with the signings that come in. So um, I think the next couple of days slash next couple of weeks are going to be incredibly interesting. Yeah, they are going to be incredibly interesting. And um, there's a really good piece, by the way, by Peter Rutzler in The Athletic, where he kind of outlines basically what happens next. Uh, it talks about Scott Parker's future, what the future might mean for uh, some of the academy players, some of the lone players, the Mitrovic situation, which we'll come on to. Um, if you want to read Peter's piece and you don't yet subscribe to The Athletic, go to theathletic.com forward slash Fulham pod and you can get The Athletic for under one pound a week. I mean, Jack, interesting what you, you mentioned there. I, I saw a tweet. Um, it was by Grace Robertson and she works for Stats Bomb and also yeah. 538. So fairly respected in a kind of a football stats world. And and she did a tweet saying, is it that much of a hot take to think that Fulham should be doing a lot, lot better with the players that they have? And it just resonated with me so, so much. And I'm looking at the team last night and I'm looking at players like Lamina and Gisa. And I know he hasn't 
they've done very well this season, but Loftus-Cheek, Ariola, Anderson. And I just kind of can't get my head around that we're in this situation. Relegated with three games to go, losing 2-0 at home to Burnley to, to get relegated. One point out of 21. When this team went up to Goodison and in Liverpool only a couple of months ago and won pretty, you know, convincingly... I, I, I'm just struggling to find the words as to how this team has done quite so badly in recent matches. And I guess that may be what those higher ups at Fulham are thinking. Been like, we couldn't have given you much more this season in terms of personnel. I guess what Parker would say was, well, I haven't got a striker that can score goals. Uh, that's exactly it, right? Parker will point to the fact that there were six games at the start of the season where we started a Premier League, Premier League with you know a, a team including Michael Hector, Tim Ream, Dennis Adoy, um, and he'll also point to the lack of you know any true number nines in the squad aside from Alexander Mitrovic um, up until January, and even that was a very last minute deal. Um, so that will be that will be the impasse, right? That will be the the points of contention over this, and and look, there are there are points on both and Parker has valid points there and they will you can also turn around and say well you know we had the shortest turnaround between a playoff final and a season starting ever as the two you know they're the two kind of opposite sides of the debate if you will and 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 what needs to be done here is some serious planning in terms of trying to get things done early and giving Parker the tools available to him in order to kick on but I, I do think you're right to an extent like look at Leeds's squad I think Fulham's squad is far better than Leeds' on paper. Um, and I think you'd find most Leeds fans would probably agree with you. You'd say, you know, you look at the players man for man. And on the whole, I'd say Fulham will probably edge it. And and yet Leeds are comfortably mid-table um, and Fulham are not. And there are plenty of strands you can look at. You can say that Leeds have a full-time director of football who, you know, works for the club constantly and looks at signings and works with their manager in order to get the signings he wants. But you can also look at their manager and say, this is a man who gets more out of players than almost anyone else on earth. And I just can't see that similar, you know, attack with Scott Parker. Now, Marcelo Bielsa is a legend of the game. He's been in the game for 25 years. You know, he, he has experience. He has nous. He has all of it. Whereas Parker is learning on the job. But I do think that's maybe the difference, right? One of these managers has been able to squeeze every drop and more and then some out of a team. And the other has a team that have worked hard, um, but looked a little bit, you know, lacking in, in many areas at the end of the day. And, and whether you put that down to, you know, a whole cohesive structure or you actually put it down to just one manager being better than another, I, I, I don't know. I think that obviously the, the overarching problem is that the lack of goals massively. Uh, just looking back through Fulham's results this season, I think from the, from the 35 games we've now played, uh, we've scored more than two goals on three occasions, which isn't going to keep you in the league at all. I think it's quite a, a glaring error that we didn't bring in any any reinforcements, uh, especially in the final third. I mean, when you look at our depth in that in that final third, who have we really got that is going to get you? Uh, you know, Bobby Reid's still our top scorer, and he hasn't scored since January. And I think I said that on the last pod, and I don't think that's changed. When you're, Can't change. We haven't scored any goals. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, when, when you're coming into a season and you've got you know, your your attackers and your wingers are Bobby Deckard over Reed, even Cavaliero. You know, Mitrovic, Maggio arrived in January, he hasn't, hasn't really pulled up any trees. But then you look at Leeds, you know, they've got Bamford who scored 15 plus goals. They've got Rafinha. No one could have, predict, no one could have predicted that though. No, of so course not. But, to, but what but I'm saying is, is they it, brought in reinforcements, right? This is exactly what you're getting at. They brought in Rodrigo Moreno, exactly. they brought in Rafinha, right? They, they backed up the fact that they, you know, Marcelo Bielsa loves Bamford. They're worried about his lack of goals. His his goal tally is probably un you know as as surprised even Leeds fans. But if they hadn't, they would have looked at other options. In that they have Rodrigo there, that who you know, they have Rafinha there, they have Jack Harrison there. There's goals in all of those players. Yeah, and there's no there's no goals in our front three. I mean, Patrick Bamford has scored more this season than we have at home. Burnley have scored more goals at Craven Cottage than Fulham have this whole season. And they've played us there three like twice, three times. It's just unbelievable. I think that, this this calendar year, but you have got the stat pretty much spot on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's crazy. It's pretty uh, damn. We, uh, we haven't beaten anyone 
of the nine teams that are sat above us. You can't expect to stay in the league with scoring this little and beating no one. Uh, I, th- I think it's it's pretty much the writings on the wall. I think when you look at midfield backwards, I think this, the squad is the challenge most in the Premier League, uh, especially the bottom half. When you look from the midfield forward, you'd be lo- very lucky if that's a if that's a Championship top four, given the given the quality of that league this season. Um, Joe, I mean, I guess part of the thing is, is we were so worried about the bloody defence in the summer. Everyone was. Everyone thought, oh my God, we're going to concede 90 goals again or whatever we did in 18, 19. That maybe, and, and this is not everyone. I know that there were plenty of people in the summer banging on that we needed a striker, but it's almost like we've tipped the balance so far the other way. Uh, we were so worried about defence. And so we fixed some defence. And now I think if we promoted again please we're going to be sitting here next year going oh my god we need attackers we need strikers we need everything else and no doubt we'll probably neglect the defense again and it will be a role reversal in 22 23 where we concede 90 goals again but actually can score a couple of goals in the game it's just going to go on for perpetual eternity isn't it yeah i want to get off this roller coaster as scott parker was saying um and yeah i mean i was one of the people in the summer that was probably saying we needed a striker but in my eyes, that was going to be a backup striker. I thought that Mitrovic would obviously be our our main source of goals this season. And one thing that does really um, annoy me, and I, I don't forgive Parker for this, is that I think if you put Mitrovic in that Burnley team last night, I think if you put him in Crystal Palace's team, Newcastle's team, West Brom's team, Sheffield United's team, any of them really that are down there with us, I think that they get more goals out of him. I think that they play to his strengths because... All these teams around us, the reason that they've got out of trouble, uh, Newcastle are the perfect example, is as poor as they look a lot of the time, they, they have match winners in their squad. Um, and other than Mitrovic, I, I struggle to think of one. I think that Lookman's too inconsistent. I think that Loftus-Cheek's been very poor and obviously he was someone we were expecting to step up. So I think that you narrow it down to Mitrovic as someone that can single-handedly win you games when he's on it. And it, it, it really confuses me that we haven't played to his strengths, that we haven't included Joe Bryan more, who is probably, along with Tete, the best crosser we've got in our squad. Um, and I, I think that there's a there's a highlights reel going on on Twitter at the moment that I'm sure you might have seen, where it's yes. all our, basically our attacking disaster classes over the course of this season, where there's been penalties going into Rosette, Cavallari slipping over, Loftus-Cheek's array of misses and you know there's just so many things that went wrong um and I think this is the problem that if you can end a season and you're blaming the director of football for things and you're blaming the manager for things and you've got players that are squandering chances for points as easy as that you've got a recipe for absolute disaster and dead cert relegation and I tweeted this last night that so many things have gone wrong this season on the field and off the field I'm almost surprised that um, it's taken this long for almost the realisation to set in for me because I've tried to remain quite positive. But I think that the, where where do we go from here? I think that, as you say, Sammy, that we can't go through this cycle again where uh, it's either our defence is good or our attack's good and it's never some sort of mixture in between. We need to make sure that next time we go up, we we are ready and we've got a team that with a few quality additions can make the step up. And I, I do think that we're in a better position than we were last time round in trying to build that. Sammy, in that case, there's a question here from Reese Benjamin who says, how long in the championship would each of you say is needed for a long-term plan rather than going straight back up with yet another hodgepodge squad? Do you think it can't be done? In a, And, and I'd, I'd throw that right back to you, Joe. Like, do you think it cannot be done? Can you go down and build something within a year that would be capable of challenging for a Premier League survival properly? I, I think it can be done in one year. I think it'd be incredibly difficult and you'd probably need um, a couple of years to rebuild properly. Um, but I'd, I'd I'd say look at Norwich and obviously we're not sure what, what they'll do next season, but they've had a better season than they had two years ago this time round by hanging on to their best permanent assets that they have, such as Buendia. Um, and it's then it's all about recruitment. Can they make the quality additions that they didn't make last time round? Because th- th- they had a team that, that won the championship pretty easily. Um, You know, they were scoring goals for fun and defensively they were never maybe as good as some of the other sides in the Premier League. And they, they, in my opinion, they didn't recruit well enough. So I I feel that we basically need to, um, in this window now, 
we need to just try and hang on to players like Tete, like Robinson, like Tosin, make sure like Reed as well. Reed, I think, is probably the main one actually, because I'm quite worried about a lower Premier League team uh, snatching him off us. Um, we, we need to hang on to these assets. We need to try and recruit players um, for reasonable fees so that we're not in the same situation with Cavalero and Knockart where we've got players that aren't good enough. Um, because if you look at a team like Palace, you look at their squad, a lot of them, other than some of their forward players, they wouldn't be out of place in the championship, in my opinion. You know, players that are doing a job for them, like like Ward, like MacArthur, MacArthur, whoever they've got now. Um, That's Roy Hodgson, though, isn't it? That's Roy Hodgson all over. Is you don't get relegated because you play very, very, you know, to your strength. I think someone said the other week that last, I think it was two weeks ago, Palace played a T and eleven, and nine of them played in Roy Hodgson's first game as Palace manager. Right, that that is some tenure. They they are just they know each other inside out, and that's the stability that Fulham perhaps don't have. Roy Hodgson would probably have kept this Fulham side up because yeah. I think Roy Hodgson would have looked at that this season. Let's say he had all the players on day one, which he wouldn't have, but he'd have looked at, okay, who are my absolute key people in this squad? And he would have said Mitrovic and he would have looked at a way of building this side around Alexander Mitrovic because he knew he was his main source of goals. He did the same thing with Bobby Zamora and Bobby Zamora, I don't think is as clinical striker as um, Alexander Mitrovic, as good a player as Bobby was. And, and that's the thing I think think a good manager gets you that extra 10 to 15 points you need a season and that's not necessarily shitting on Parker I think in time Parker could be good and maybe we'll see the fruits of our labor if we keep him similar to Daniel Farker at Norwich it'd be fascinating to see how they do next season because I do think there's a lot of similarities I still think Norwich have got a much better setup overall and I think that Stuart Webber is a fantastic director of football but there is still some similarities there um, and Fulham have 88 days until the until the season starts you know American presidents get most of their things done in 100 days so it's a lot of time for or Fulham to kind of get their ducks in a row before the season, get some good signings in, get some signings that not just work for the championship, as Joe says, but also could work for the Premier League if we go up. And uh, there's a lot, to, there's probably a lot of deadwood to clear as well. There's an awful lot of work to be done. There's also an awful lot of questions. So we're going to get into those next. Part two of the Fulhamish podcast. Sammy James here with Jack Collins. Hello, listeners. Ben Jarman. Hello, everyone. And Joe Sansom. Hey guys. Uh, so the inquest continues and we've got a stack full of questions to get through. Uh, Jack, I'll start with you on this one. A simple one from Lawrence Craven. He says, one stays, two go. Who? Parker, Mitro or Tony Khan? I think the answer at this point has to be Mitrovic purely because we've seen how hard it is to get a striker that, that scores goals for you. Now, if you can the, the, there's valid questions to be asked of whether you think Mitrovic can cut it at Premier League level and if you don't I suppose the answer to this question is Scott Parker um, but I still think that the hardest thing to find here is a striker a reliable striker who will get you 20 plus goals in next season and I think Mitrovic is that player still but is there not another championship striker that we could get for the money that we would sell Mitrovic for who's on buying big- him Sam well, I mean, we talked about it on the pod last week and then it was mentioned on zonal marking as well that there are many top clubs who might see Mitrovic as a fantastic kind of second striker option. Look, Fulham will look, I think, to take offers for Alexander Mitrovic, if I'm if I'm not mistaken. Um, it's one of those weird ones where, you know, you look at all the, the different options and you look at how, how it plays out and you think, right, Alexander Mitrovic is unhappy right now because he's not playing. Right. So does he go to a top six side to sit on the bench? I don't think so. So where I'm seeing him is off to a, if you're going to leave, I think he's going to leave for a, a Wolfsburg or a Roma. Uh, you know, one of those sides that's maybe just a little bit further down the, the pecking order than they perhaps should be. And I don't see any of those sides paying 25 million for Alexander Mitrovic. I think they'll, you'll get a couple of offers at 15 million. And I don't think, let's say, you know, you think that, that Adam Armstrong at Blackburn is the answer. A lot of goals this season, good player, um, would probably fit with Parker's idea of what he wants from a from a pressing striker. Um, but with all of that said, I think you're going to have to pay 25 million for, Adam, for an Adam Armstrong. So unless you get what you want for Mitrovic, I don't think you can go and buy the striker that you want. But I mean, maybe with the sale of Anguissa as well. If the if the absolute key is getting a good striker in, well, we, you I, sell- 
I've got a, I've got a list. We'll go on to it later. But I've I've been drawing up my squad for next season, right? And I think there are holes, and I think there are more. There are obviously the biggest hole is up front. But I still think there's holes in the middle, especially if you sell Angisa. And I think we're, we're going to need to fill them as well. Um, Jarms, uh, your answer to, to Lawrence Craven's question. There's going to be a massive power battle over the summer. Um, I, I, to be honest, I can't really give you an answer. I do think that it will be Mitrovic that probably leaves. I, I, I can't see Shahid sacking Tony. And I can't see Tony walking away because his pride won't allow it. But um, I think it could be Mitrovic. I, I do under, I do understand where, where Jack comes from, though, because it, on the face of it, coming off the back of a pandemic, most clubs can't afford the players they want. Who's going to really going to part with, you know, 25 million for Alexander Mitrovic or 20 million? Um, you know, I know Jack said, you said, Sammy, sorry, uh, that, you know, a top club might see Mitrovic as, a, as a sort of like a B option to sit on the bench. But who's going to want to pay 25 million for someone to sit on the bench? No one. Um, where, where can you see him go on the continent? I don't think many other leagues could could probably compete with the money that we want. I think Jack made a good shout in someone like Wolfsburg or someone in the Bundesliga. Um, but I think that also the the game is sort of changing around Mitrovic because he's he's as much as I love him and I think twenty six goals last season was was great. It, it single handedly propelled us up that league. Um, the game of modern football is changing around Alexander Mitrovic, and he is. Uh, I would say one of very few target man strikers that are left in in the top leagues in in football at the moment that can actively and effectively operate. So I don't know. I think I think it will be Mitrovic as much as I'd hate it, but I I do question where the destination he'll end up will be. Joe John McCormick asks if Scott Parker was called Scotty O'Parkes and had no history in the English game, would he still be praised by the media and still in a job after five wins so far this season slash one of the worst home goals records in Premier League history? Um, it is a fair point. You see the likes of Jeff Stelling and Henry Winter last night saying, oh, you got to love Scott Parker because he got a bit emotional in a post-match interview. Like, yes, I quite like the way that Scott Parker deals with the press, but it's not the only reason why I want someone as a manager. Yeah, I, I, to be honest with that question, I, I see their point because at times I feel like there has been rose-tinted glasses looking at Scott Parker this season from people in the media um, who have, I think because of our bad start and maybe not researching too much into how our squad's evolved since then, possibly saying, oh, well, they were awful at the start of the season. He's turned the ship around and steadied it and actually given them a fighting chance. And of course, I believe, as you were saying that conversation earlier about our squad, that this squad is probably good enough for survival with the right tactics um, playing to its strength. So I, I do think that Scott Parker's been given quite a nice hand by the media and not getting trounced for our horrendous home record. I mean, I think we've been very good away this season. Um, probably should have picked up more points than we have done. You look at Spurs away as an example of that, Arsenal away, uh, even though maybe that was a bit of a smash and grab. But at home, we've just been abysmal and it's been the same since, you know, Arsenal at home on that first day, even with a different squad. I thought there were so many similarities last night with the Villa game where, yes, we had more of the ball, Yes, we were crossing it in all night, but we never looked like scoring. And I think I read that, or I think Sky said actually, that Burnley last night had, it was either the worst or one of the worst passing accuracies in Premier League history with 48%. So, I mean, that, that is absolutely abysmal, but they didn't need to be good on the ball, did they? They did their work in the first half, sat back in the second half, barely touched the ball and just felt comfortable all night long. So, in answer to your question, I do think Scott Parker's been... Um, been treated quite nicely due to the way he is in the media um but at the same time you know um i i don't think that if he was called i can't remember what the question said but sort of, um, yeah i think he was called that i do still think he'd be in in a job i just think maybe the media treatment would be slightly different yeah i i guess that's kind of inevitable at as well because you know he, he was a football writers player of the year not so long ago in a relegated team maybe scott parker only gets plaudits in relegated teams maybe that's when scott parker absolutely thrives is when everyone around him is a little bit shit um elizabeth asks jack we're going to lose our loan players which is expected but which of our permanent players in brackets if any do you think will go and who should we make a priority and why is the answer harrison reed um jack this is your moment, really. You've got your list. So um, here we go. 
Well, I think we're going to lose Angisa and I think we're going to lose Mitrovic. Now, I would rather keep both, but I, I think that's where we're going to look to make the money this summer to make those sales, right? And part of me still believes, now I have no evidence for this whatsoever, but in my head, I think there's a fair chance that we sign Mario Lamina. And obviously we had a 6 million obligation if we stayed up. I think Fulham might sign Mario Lamina. I think he might stay. Um, Now, whether those were crocodile tears at the end of the Wolves game or, or not, you know, he has put himself about this season and I just have a funny feeling he's enjoyed himself and might just fancy a crack at getting straight back up with Fulham. Now, again, there's not much in that apart from I think he might just be the one that that bucks the trend. Apart from that, I can't see any of the lone players staying. What about about Ola Aina? No, 11 million. We're not going to pay that. We're just not going to pay it. Um, it, That's what Torino want. That's what they're holding out for. I do think there's a chance that because Bordeaux are on the the, the cusp of being relegated and Liga has immense financial problems that Bordeaux might accept a lower bid for Josh Madger, which I think we might try and activate. You know, would you take Josh Madger for 10 million? Probably not. Would you take him for five? Maybe. And I maybe. think he could be really good in the champ. Bordeaux's owners are also refusing to uh, bankroll them anymore. So they're currently under French law, uh, basically being sort of like almost administered to make sure they don't go bust ahead of being relegated. So there's a chance that they'll sell all of their best assets for basically nothing. But this does mean that Jean-Michel Serri is going to come back to Fulham and we're going to have to find another destination for him. Yeah, so this is the squad that I've basically sketched out for next season, right? So Marek Rodak in goal, backed up by one of Luke Ashby Hammond or George Wickens, who are both, you know, looking at being promoted from that academy. Um, I think, I I can't see us extending Marcus Bettinelli's contract unless his dad has has a word, uh, which is plausible, (laughs) I suppose. Um, But considering he was ousted from Middlesbrough's starting 11 by Jordan Archer, I think the writing might be on the wall there. Left back, you've got Brian and Robinson. Centre-halves, you've got Congolo, Tosin, Jerome Poku, who's been excellent for Plymouth uh, and has had championship interest in him. Um, So I think we'll keep him around. Um, Peter's article said he was looking at being involved in pre-season, so I can't see why that would change. And and I think Michael Hector probably gets rehabilitated into the fold a little bit next season. Um, And on the right-hand side, you have Kenny Tete, who I I actually, again, is another one I think will stay. Um, And Steven Sessegnon coming back in. Slash, do you take the contract option up on Cyrus Christie? Perhaps, perhaps not. Uh, The middle, you have... Harrison Reed, Josh Onuma, Tom Kearney. That's where I think Fulham need heavy reinforcements. Obviously, Bobby De Cordova can play in there as well. I've got him and Cav out on the right, which probably needs a little bit of work. We have a little bit of a gap up top. And then on the left, I suppose you have Sylvester Jasper. Niskas Cabano comes back in after a pretty good little spell um, at Borough. Um, obviously, then Fabio Carvalho is a 10 slash plays on the wing. He sort of plays a little bit all over the place. So he, he, his chance will come, I think, next season. Uh, and word on the street is that uh, not content with bringing one DR Congo international back from Middlesbrough, uh, Fulham are actually also interested in Yannick Bulassi. Oh, God. Right. Um, <laughs> I'm buying the Congo flag as we speak. <laughs> yeah, so apparently that's on the cards. So um, I, I make of that what you will, but that's that's yeah. what I've heard on on the grapevine. Um, so I think, look, we need heavy reinforcements in centre midfield and up front, but the rest of the squad doesn't look too too bad from where I'm sitting. The back looks okay. Like obviously, you can't trust Terence Congolo to play more than three quarters of a game at a time. Um, but apart from that, you know, does Michael Hector come back in? Can he, can he be rehabilitated? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that question. But it wouldn't surprise me if he was part of the rotation next year. If Jerome Opoku is ready to step up, then that's good. Obviously, Alfie Mawson is broken, so we're going to assume he gets off- offloaded. Mm. I'm going to assume we give Steph Johansson the benefit of the doubt and just be like, look, thank you for your service. You can go to somewhere where they will actually love you. Um but yeah, I, I do think there are the makings of a decent squad here. The the additions need to be smart. 
And if you if you make these additions with uh, to a team who you know, can, I'm talking maybe a striker who is ready to step up to Premier League level. You know, you get an Ivan Tony kind of figure who can score lots in the Championship and will lead you in the, in the Premier League if Mitrovic goes. You know, if you can bring in, I think we need another six and another eight if Frank goes because I, th- I think there's a lot to cover there. And and if one of them is Lamina, then that's excellent. And if not, then then I think you you have to look elsewhere. Um, and I think we could do with a little bit more on the wings. And I, I don't think the answer is Balassi, although I'd be quite here for seeing Yannick Balassi in black and white. Um, but I, I think there are there are bargains to be had in League A this summer. That's where I would be shopping. Let's put it that way. Ben, your reaction to Jack's interview for the new director of scouting role at Fulham FC? Uh, to be honest, I think I'll probably give him another interview. Um, maybe ask him for a full presentation. Uh, a little bit of strategy <laughs> for the next five years. We'll see. Uh, uh, to be honest, I'm quite disappointed with his lack of shout for the MLS. Um, but you know, <laughs> you can't have it all, can you? No, I do, I do. I do. On the whole, as always, largely agree with Jack. I think that there are, there is, sorry, a great spine at Fulham that we can build on, and I think that the pathway from the academy needs to be smoother. It needs to be shorter and we need to integrate those players a lot more. And I think uh, anyone that's listened to me in the last three or four pods will think I sound like a broken record saying that, but it's something I strongly believe in. I, on Jack's squad list there, there are like five or six academy prospects that, you know, should be integrated into that squad next year. Uh, And there's a good train of players coming through from under 18s to under 23s that it would be nice to see over the next sort of like two or three years. I do think that the Liga shout is great. Um, every team in Liga, I guess, by like bar PSG, are really, really struggling. Even Lille, who are probably about to win the title, are in dire financial straits. So you could, you could, you could say that Liga is probably going to be the the Europe's shopping cart at, at this point. But I do think there are leagues outside of Liga that you can go into and get good talent from. I think the Eredivisie is coming back to being what it used to be in a massive train of great young players across the board. I think Portugal was a great league to go and look at. I think Portugal had like sort of five or 10 years where they produced not so much, but now they've got young players coming out of their ears. And I think also if you're looking for a manager, Portugal is definitely the way to go. They've got such a great class of manager out there that will have an impact in the Premier League and already having an impact across leagues in the whole of Europe. And I I know the MLS shout (laughs) earlier on was a little bit of a joke, but I actually think that MLS is a great way to go, um, especially when you're looking at this new generation of Americans and Canadians coming through. um, And MLS has become a massive stepping stone for people and players from sort of South America, the amount of Venezuelans, Brazilians, Colombians that are all playing in MLS and having a a massive influence on the game out there, but more importantly, looking like they could definitely come over and cut it in the championship. And you're starting to see those links already. When we were in January, um, Reading were linked with Diego Rossi from from LAFC. There are definitely players at Atlanta that you could definitely see coming over. Ezekiel Barco is probably one of them. Yep. Santiago Sosa is another. There are definitely players out there that can come over here and cut it. And I think Fulham just need to wise up and just look at these other leagues. You're going to be paying a premium for anyone you're going to get out of another championship side. You're going to be paying a premium for anyone that's English that is coming out of an academy. But I do think that there is a, a, a definitely like a strand that we can look at where there are academy players at Premier League sides who are ready to go and play in the championship. Um, Luton have got one, Kieran and Junior. Kiernan Dewsbury Hall is his name and they've basically built their midfield around him and he's only 22 years old like Fulham could definitely go and get him for you know six or seven million pounds and and wait for him to blossom into a great player but I think that it takes a much better recruitment model and saying all this in theory is great but seeing it actually happen on the pitch is going to be something that Fulham are obviously going to have to you know completely change and put into practice. Ben made a really good point there about MLS, about the the players coming through being from, you know, the South American nations. And with the new, you know, Brexit rules on on bringing players in and, and the fact that they have to have, you know, either have a certain value or have represented their country or played in a simple, you know, a, a, set, a set amount of games in, in, in a top division. It does mean that actually the, the options are limited for kind of raiding the lower leagues across Europe in the way that you used to be able to. 
Um, and, and so, you know, you do have to expand the scouting model. It does have to leave Europe now. It does have to, to be starting to look across to, you know, the South American countries, to the North American countries and seeing what you can get. And, and I do yeah. think MLS is a tricky one in the summer because obviously their season runs differently to ours and the season runs across the summer months. Um, but there are definitely, you know, gems to be had in in the americas and i think that we, we have to be smart now smarter with our scouting it needs to be look last time out there was all these clamors for some championship experience you know there was all these champ- clamors to to bring in players that knew the league and and that got us you know uh ivan cavaledo and anthony knockart now we've seen that, that, that experience in the league doesn't automatically equal being good in the league and I, I do think we've got to to expand now and be smart, be clever, bring in some players who are a little bit more raw, who are a little bit more unheard of, and and give them a go because that's how you that's how you make it work. All right. Well, I think there's going to be a lot of time this summer for discussing um, exactly who we're going to bring in from from what countries. As I say, 90 days until the championship begins, um, more days after that until the transfer window presumably will close. So there's going to be a lot of transfer rumours um, this summer. Fascinating to see what way Fulham um, do decide to go and uh, a lot of planning needed indeed. OK, we're going to leave it there. Thank you for your questions and we gonna take a quick break. Part three of the Fulhamish podcast, Sammy James here with Ben Jarman, Jack Collins and Joe Sansom. Um, Being a bumper pod today, no way that we can fit in all of the analysis into one short podcast, especially when kind of feelings are so raw after yesterday's relegation and and everything that happened. There was a stack of questions that we didn't even get to. We're going to bank them for Thursday's podcast. Jack will be back again uh, and... Peter Rutzler from The Athletic will be here as well. As I mentioned earlier in the podcast, do read that article that he put up earlier. Um, So much is explained about what's expected for next season, including lots of detail as well on Fulham's financial fair play situation, exactly how much money we're going to have to spend in the summer. Um, there's there's lots of moving parts to, to what Fulham are doing next season. Your best chance of keeping up with all of it uh, is with Peter on The Athletic. Also, um, some good reading on the Fulhamish website as well. There's a pretty strong comment piece uh, about Tony Khan from, from, from Dan Cook, which is certainly uh, an interesting take on things. And also Cam Ramsey's Five Thoughts is also up. Fulhamish.co.uk uh, if you want to read what they've got to say. And, and I'm sure there'll be plenty more published on the website in the next few days. So all we need to do today, Jack, uh, to finish off the podcast is to name it. What would you like to go for? I'm going to go for Stephen Sheldrake's Craven Cottage Capitulation. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, thank you very much for listening. As I mentioned, podcast back on Thursday uh, and not too long between podcasts. It's only about 48 hours. Man United are doing it on the pitch. We're doing it behind the microphone. Uh, a very much a... Uh, double pod week for us um myself jack and peter rutzler Uh, and we'll be looking ahead to the southampton game as well on saturday does it matter will we be playing the kids will we drop all the lone players uh we'll have a look at that because of course there are three more games left of this season and yes we do have to grin and bear it thank you to my guest today to jack collins thank you very much see you later sammy to ben jarman thank you see you later sammy and to joe sanson thank you bye sammy Pod will be back on Thursday. Have a good week. Keep smiling. Call me whites.